So we continue our discussion and conversation on the first noble truth, the noble truth of Dukkha, by discussing the three types of Dukkha that are classically discussed. These three types of Dukkha actually are very elegant and they correspond to the three characteristics of existence. The three characteristics being, what are the three characteristics? Shout them out. Anicca, change, yeah, impermanence. Not self, anatta, and... Um, so they're usually the different order. So I'll give you the order. Okay, so, so so you already gave me two, so I'll tell you. The first one is usually dukkha. Dukkha is is thought as 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 a mark of existence, as a condition of existence. Dukkha, unsatisfactoriness. The second one being anicca, impermanence, and the third one being anatta, not self. And so the three types of dukkha correspond to the three characteristics. So the three, the three types of dukkha are the dukkha of ordinary suffering, which is um, dukkha dukkha. The word in Pali is dukkha dukkha. <laughs> I kind of like the sound of it, dukkha dukkha. Uh, the second type, so, so that corresponds to dukkha as you see it, as you see more. The second type of dukkha is the dukkha that's produced by change as we're talking about earlier before the break. And that's, um, in Pali, is viparinama dukkha, viparinama dukkha, dukkha that's produced by change. The third type of dukkha is a dukkha of conditioned states, or in Pali, sankara dukkha, sankara dukkha. And that corresponds to anatta, not self. And we'll discuss more what that actually means. But just to say that there are three types of dukkha. Dukkha, dukkha, just pure, ordinary, suffering dukkha. Viparinama dukkha, uh, produced by change. And the third one, sankara dukkha. So let's talk a little more about each of them, what, what they are and, and recognizing them in, in, our, in our existence. So the first one is the dukkha of ordinary suffering. That's just... Um, easiest one to see. It's the uh, physical suffering of pain, physical pain. That's an easy one to see. It's the physical and mental suffering of of aging, illness, death, uh, losing loved ones, etc. Geshe Tashi Tsering says even animals understand the suffering of suffering, which is this type. This is just really simple. Um, it is unpleasant and explicitly undesirable. Nobody runs after this form of suffering, and we need no sophisticated explanations to understand it, nor do we need to devise skillful stratagems to avoid it. Animals, insects, and humans are all constantly involved with doing so already, even though none of our attempts seem very skillful. We all wish to be free from this gross suffering. It's just gross suffering. Um, Body aches, pains, catching the flu, chronic illnesses, uh, illness in general is dukkha dukkha. And in that category, uh, aging, body falling apart, that's just dukkha dukkha. Um, We're all subject to it. Loss, grief, um, difficult states of mind. Um, like jealousy, anger, actually throw out some, some difficult states of mind, which are just dukkha dukkha. Despair. Despair. Conflict. Conflict. Greed. Greed, envy, good ones, yeah. Yeah. Disappointment. Disappointment, yeah. Fear, good one. Dukkha, dukkha. Guilt. Guilt, yeah. Anger. 
we have a good set. So basically stewing in these negative states of mind are dukkha dukkha. Um, Not being with what we want is dukkha. So wanting something and not being with it is uh, dukkha. Um, So for example, wanting a really amazing experience on the cushion when you're meditating and not getting it, that's dukkha dukkha. Some other examples of, of wanting something and not getting it. Feel free to throw them up popcorn style. Irritation, frustration. Yeah. Everything that happens at the airport. <laughs> Everything that happens at the airport, yeah. <laughs> TSA searching you, taking your boots off, belt off, <laughs> laptop off. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's also the, the the pain or displeasure at each of the sense doors. So tasting something you don't like, seeing something you don't like, these are all dukkha dukkha. Stubbing your toe, kicking something as you walk by, um, breaking your wrist. Random example. <laughs> yeah, for example, <laughs> of a random one. Something you don't like. Yeah. Yeah. Music you don't like. Yeah. Yeah. So so these are just the everyday dukkhas that we just go through life, you know, just just uh getting stuck in traffic. You know, we want to get somewhere we don't want to be stuck in traffic. Or just just, you know, everyday irritations, everyday things that we don't want and we we are subject to. That's just dukkha dukkha. That's, um line at the post office. The line at the post office, yeah. Yeah. So it's existential pain. Um, hmm. It depends how you define existential, because that could also refer to the third type of dukkha, which we talk more about. So, so I would say everyday life pain. Existential could be existential angst, which could refer, to, which would be the third one. So I, I see what you're saying. It's just this, yeah, the lexical choice. <laughs> Yeah, um, and then there's also being stuck with what you don't want. Um, being stuck with the monkey mind that goes everywhere, not wanting that, um, having aversion to it, that's dukkha dukkha. Um, being stuck with relatives you don't really want to be with at Thanksgiving dinner, dukkha dukkha. Um, just whatever you don't want to be with and you're stuck with. Some other ideas. Being stuck in Pittsburgh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Habits and addictions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so anyway, there. this kind of like gross suffering of every day. It's it, and and especially the ones that that. Um, have to do with the um, with physical pain and and uh, the, the, basically the sense doors, what we see and taste and 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 uh, hear um, and sometimes think that we don't want to think. Um, all of those, the sense doors. Um, that's a very simple example of just basic dukkha dukkha. That, that includes emotion. It can include, yeah, it can include emotional as well. Emotional can actually be in both in the, emotion can be a little spread as, as we talk about all the three ones. You can see the emotional can be a little spread. The, 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 the gross, um, uh, the gross emotions like anger and jealousy and, and those can be thought of in the first one because they, they almost physically hurt. It's both a mental pain and a physical pain at the same time. There's we experience emotions so much physically that they're both mind states, energies as well as physically experienced. So, yeah, um, and we can come back to that also. Yeah. So talking about the second um, um, type of dukkha, which is the viparinama dukkha, which is the dukkha of change. 
um, it's basically suffering due to change, suffering due to impermanence. And that's what we were talking again before the break more about uh, in response to the question that Pam was, was um, uh, bringing up. Um, it's, it's the anxiety and the stress that comes when we try to hold on to, to things, when we try to hold on to them, uh, wanting to, for them to stay the same and not change. Um, and it tends to be more subtle uh, than the first type of dukkha. The first type of dukkha is just simple. Your, your back hurts. You stubbed your toe. It hurts. It's just pain and simple. You know, pretty pretty easy to detect. The second type is a little more difficult to see in the mind what is causing the that that dukkha. Um, uh, the relationship that's changing, and you expected it to be as lovely as the honeymoon period. It's that expectation that Anne was bringing up earlier today, it's that sense of expectation for, um, in this case, for expectation for things to be the same, to, to not change, that causes that, that disappointment. Um, and without investigation, usually things... In, in the, oh, question, Mike. You mentioned in the ordinary dukkha, uh, things like aging or loss of relationship, loss of the loved one. Are, aren't those... Yeah. 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 They, they can be both in the first and the second. So, so things. It's not a very clear, clear cut category. I think what what is clear cut definitely in the first category are the the sense doors, the sense door pains, things that are, are just unpleasant, plain unpleasant, uh, like body pain things we smell and taste we don't like or hear that, that's hurtful. Those are clearly in the first category, dukkha, dukkha. Um, the, the emotional pain can be kind of spread a little bit in the first or the second, so you're right in bringing that up, that it could be spread in the second one because we're expecting our body to stay the same. So part of it is like, oh, it's ache and pains of body aging. So that's kind of part of the first one because it's just body aging and hurting now. But the expectation that, oh, I should be like a 20-year-old and this shouldn't change, that's part of the second one. So yes, then it becomes spread. Does that help? Yeah. Um, So Pema Children describe this type of suffering as the suffering of trying to hold on to things that are always changing. Um trying to hold on to things that are always changing. And it's also been likened to rope burn. When you're trying to hold on to a rope that's, that's moving, you get rope burn, your hands get hurt. So things are always moving. So trying to hold on, you hurt yourself. So the third type of dukkha is the dukkha, dukkha of conditioned states. Um, that's sankara dukkha. So that is referred to as all-pervasive suffering, and that's the deepest level and sort of harder to pinpoint sometimes. So what does that refer to? What does that mean? It's um, the basic unsatisfactoriness pervading all existence, all forms of life, um, due to the fact that all forms of life are both changing and permanent and without any inner core. So it's a sense of, la- it's, 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 could be felt as a, an emptiness at our core that, that no matter how much, say, money, power, love, everything that we have, when everything is even completely set up, it's just not quite enough. It's just there's something missing. There's that's that I refer to that as as the existential pain or existential angst. It's just it's not quite right. Something is missing. It's not enough. Um, it's kind of a, a a void at the core that's so uncomfortable that that we try to evade it. Um, and again, a lot of people experience it as existential angst. And I remember also. Uh, in my in, uh, years ago, I had a lot of existential angst of who am I? What am I? What is this all about? What am I doing here? What am I supposed to do with my life? Who? Just all of this, it, just emptiness. Like, just what, what is the point? And there was a point in my life where 
I had, I had achieved everything I had set my mind to in, in my life, but it just wasn't enough. Like, now what? So what? Big deal. And there was that, that emptiness, that corelessness. So that corresponds to anatta, because anatta, the not-self, by definition, there is no core, there is no self, there is no solidity in, in our experience. There is not that refuge, that this is it, this is, we can land. And that sense of um, existential angst or, or things are not... Um, good enough, it refers to that anatta. Um, it also could be experienced as a sense of lack of satisfaction, that things never measure up to our expectations, our standards, that we have these images of how things should be and they never measure up. <clears throat> Sometimes this kind of um, dukkha, which people don't exactly see as dukkha or recognize it, can give rise to, to um, activities to try to, to avoid it um, and, and um, fill that bottomless pit by drinking, by um, destructive behavior that, help, that make people check out so that they don't feel that, um, that, that, that kind of dukkha. Um, addictive behavior, etc., things like that. So, so given these three types of dukkha, what does it mean to contemplate dukkha? What does it mean to open up to it? So, the first suggestion is not to go and necessarily look for it. Dukkha will come and find you. We all have plenty to, to practice with um, here on this retreat. So no need to create it. Um, it, sha- it presents itself in so many shapes and forms, in our bodies, in our thoughts, in our emotions. Um, and what you need to do, however, is to be alert and just recognize it for what it is when it comes up. That is what it means to contemplate dukkha. Because a lot of times, and I know that from my own experience, I'm in the midst of suffering and in the midst of dukkha without recognizing it, without recognizing that it's just that. And when I actually see it, say when I'm in a state of mind that's, that's difficult and I'm stewing in it and I don't even see it, as, this, as soon as I see, ah, this is dukkha, this is suffering, ah, as soon as I put the label on it and see it, then I'm actually relating to it in a different way. I'm more aware of it instead of an experiencer in the midst of it being, being um, tossed around in the waves and being hit by the shore. Instead, I'm actually seeing the waves like, ah, this is dukkha, this is dukkha, this is suffering, it's like this. So opening up to dukkha does not mean pouring salt over the wounds and making it harder. Not, no need to have the attitude, I'm going to open up to this dukkha until it kills me. Just gentleness, really, really gentle and soft compassionate attitude is what helps us really open up to it and embrace it and see it for what it is. It's basically the, real, the realization that it's like this. Ah, pain is like this. And you might even use these labels I suggest this afternoon in your comp- contemplation. Grief is like this. Pain is like this. Sadness is like this. Disappointment is like this. Oh, it's like this. It's like this. Ah, I see you. I recognize you. It's like this. Just a moment of spaciousness and non-identification with the dukkha, whatever type of dukkha it is, 
it helps to have an open relationship to it, understand it, open to it, instead of being in the midst of it as an experiencer. Then awareness, your awareness becomes a witness to the dukkha, instead of it being experienced as a first-person experience. Does that make sense? At least intellectually? Yeah. Sometimes it also helps to, when, when we notice dukkha, um, and we're in the midst of it, recognizing it, and sometimes just saying, ouch, ouch, and that helps bring compassion. If there is a lot of suffering in that moment, to bring compassion to it, ouch, maybe even with a hand gesture, that makes noise, ouch. And that ouch also acknowledges that you're not doing something wrong, that it's, it's part of the human experience for the mind to come up with something to be unhappy about, and then cultivating compassion and softness and opening to it. Here's a quote from Joseph Campbell. The first step to the knowledge of wonder and mystery of life is the recognition of the monstrous nature of the earthly realm as well as its glory, the realization that this is just how it is and it cannot be changed. Those who think they know how the universe should have been, had they created it without pain, without sorrow, without death, are unfit for illumination. So if you really want to help this world, what you will have to teach is how to live in it as it is with the joyful sorrow and the sorrowful joy of how it is. I'll read the last sentence. So if you really want to help this world, what you will have to teach is how to live in it as it is with the joy with the joyful sorrow and the sorrowful joy of how it is. So I want to offer, continue to offer some pointers, some suggestions for your practices this afternoon as you contemplate dukkha and, and try to recognize it and embrace and open to it very gently and softly, knowing your own limits and, and capacities. It's just an exploration. Again, no warrior spirit, I'm going to do this until it kills me. Just gentle, very gentle, right effort, right effort. Um, is this a time to ask a question? Not yet, okay. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... So the first step would be just to recognize, just to recognize when dukkha is arising and acknowledge it. Just recognizing itself, really bringing mindfulness to it, to whatever it is, whether it's dukkha of the body, whether there's something that's at the ear door and it's unpleasant, just recognizing that, ah, this is dukkha, this is dukkha, this is pain. This is unpleasant. Instead of, I am suffering and I want to get rid of it. See if you can use this lexical choice to help guide your practice instead of, I am suffering or I am angry, I am disappointed, I'm filled with grief, I'm anxious. Instead of these, ah, there is anxiety. Anxiety is like this. Sadness is like this. This is sadness. This is dukkha. This is dukkha. This is suffering. Play around and see what wording works for you. I'm just offering a lot of different things. And fine-tune and see what works for you and, and what you may come up with that works even better for you and come and share with us this evening. So 
So the first thing is to acknowledge, see, have that kind of relationship to it instead of being in the midst of it, letting awareness experience it. And the second is, as Ajahn Sumedho says, I like how he takes the word understand and he changes it, stand under. Stand under it, to stand under it with acceptance and ease and explore it very gently with openness, with curiosity. What is the quality of this suffering, of this dukkha? Is it heavy? Is it light? Is it extreme? How is the mind holding it? That's a very important question. How is the mind holding it? How is the mind relating to it? What is the relationship to it? And see the relationship that the the experience of dukkha is a condition of the mind. It's not necessarily outside of ourselves. It's how we're relating to, to things. Things might have the nature, the nature, but it's really in our mind how we relate to objects, to sensory information, to emotions, etc. And of course, be gentle and light and spacious in this exploration. Know your limits, take breaks. Um, if your mind would be at ease to go back to just mindfulness or taking a walk in nature, allow yourself to do that this afternoon. So, now we have time for a few questions before we um, do our uh, reflection. Um, I have a reflection prepared for you. So, you have a question, Rick? I'm going to wait, I think, until I'm going to group on it. Okay. 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 I have a comment. Sure. So, as I'm not totally new to this, but relatively new, it sounds like a little bit new to some people. And I'm finding myself trying to simplify things so that I can really remember them. Yeah. And with differentiating between the first two types of dukkha. Yeah, yeah. It's made it easier for me to think of the first one as being sort of biological mm-hmm. and this is what what you experience because you're a human animal. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's all of the things, you know, pain and hunger and exhaustion and things like that. Mm-hmm. But then it can include emotions that are happening right then. Mm-hmm. Like, if he was to turn to me and slug me in the face, that would make me angry. Mm -hmm. Or if I got bad news, that would make me sad. And then the second kind is more um, related to pulling things out of time, either past or future. So if I had the second kind of dukkha and I was feeling anger or sadness, but it wasn't related to getting bad news or being hit, but me actually thinking about something, like this happened five years ago and I'm still sitting here being sad or angry about it, or I'm looking forward and saying, I really dread that and that's making me feel angry. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? It does, and I would add something else to that, because the second type could also be experienced in the present moment. Maybe you just lost your job and it's something that you expected to be permanent to be forever, and now you're experiencing the pain right now. So it's, it's kind of something that happened in the past, the expectation of permanency, something that you, you're experiencing the emotion right now. So it's still along the framework that you're talking about. So it's not... If you hang on to it, yeah. then it goes into the second yeah. mm-hmm. So it's the expect... Yes, it's, yeah. It's, and then the third one, the word that comes to mind for me is malaise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I don't even want to go yeah. try to figure that one out. Yeah. Just want it, to exactly. The, the first two. Don't go looking for it. If, if, it, if, it come, if, if it visits you, then you can recognize that. If it doesn't visit you, it's perfectly fine. I just put it out there that these are the three classical types mm-hmm. um, that, that are uh, um, taught. 
Um, you want to add something? Well, just that uh, <clears throat> pleasant experiences, when they pass, if there's disappointment, mm-hmm. um, that's, a, that's showing us the, the second quality. Mm-hmm. The first quality are things that are, um, they're kind of unpleasant in and of themselves. So there's physical pain, there's pain at a sense door, there's emotional pain. Mm-hmm. Right in the moment, that's the dukkha, dukkha. But when you, the, the dukkha that comes with even pleasant experiences as they fade, there's a sense of like, um, their dukkha is that um, they can't give you more than they could. So again, for me, just really simply, chocolate can only do so much. And then eventually the taste passes, the pleasure passes, and in the passing of it, like, oh, it has the dukkha quality that it will eventually pass. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> if I'm not disappointed in it, it still has the dukkha quality that it has passed. Mm-hmm. But I'm not suffering disappointment, which would be the first one. So there's the, that, that dukkha quality of the second one is not necessarily unpleasant mm-hmm. in and of itself, but that things eventually fade. Um, that is more the dukkha of unreliability versus the dukkha of suffering. But I'm not sure if that was helpful. That word screwed me up a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> so <clears throat> the, the um, again, dukkha has it's the unpleasantness mm-hmm. that comes in life, but there's also the sense of um, no refuge or unreliable, mm-hmm. and, it's, and the fact that it. it um, the security that might have come from a pleasant experience um, was only temporary. And so that makes uh, pleasant experiences because they change. There's a sense of like, oh, I was trusting that or I was counting on that. Mm-hmm. And then it went, did a very natural thing, which was change. And therefore we have to struggle a little bit in the fact that there is, um, things are constantly changing. Mm-hmm. So like it, that takes the dukkha and the more towards the nuance of no refuge, no uh, things are unreliable, things um, can only temporarily uh, satisfy us or support us. Mm-hmm. And that's a, a, the other quality, of these two qualities of dukkha. Mm-hmm. I uh, remember the, def- the first two that you said, the definition of the third again? Okay. Right. So it's um, it, it, do you in the Pali or Sankara Dukkha? No, well, we had pain was the first, and there's change was the second. And what was the third? Um, it's it's conditioned existence. So it I know it's kind of like. <laughs> it was related to anatta, which yeah. is uh, the non-self nature. That there's no there's no stability even in ourselves. That we are constantly changing. Also, existential angst could be a shorthand, if that helps. Well, work okay, we, we can discuss it more later. And again, if you're not visited by it this afternoon, don't worry about it. <laughs> I think I'm going to go ahead before I forget. I wish I'd been taking notes. Uh, it happened about an hour and a half ago, and this, the nature of the group is so important. The fact that we're in a circle and and then uh, that notion changed when this morning a couple of folks over there were asking questions and making comments and I couldn't hear them and I chose not to say anything at that point and then uh, as people kept talking I just realized I can't hear you know so I was going something you know, you're getting old can't hear. And so I just sat with, almost sat with my dukkha, being aware of it. And then I started thinking, okay, now I have to figure out a way that maybe I can make the group get more of a circle, or maybe I can sit somewhere else, or I can do... So I started making it a huge, huge issue in my life. (laughs) And it started with... um, So it just... You know, I'm, I'm aware that that how it started and it really helped me a lot to hear you both talk about dukkha and the nature both in fact things change I think that's one of the main things you know, just look 
looking around the room and being so close, feeling so close, and now I feel I, I'm distancing myself by what I have, have not done. I don't know if that makes sense, but it just, uh, I really am aware of Dukkha. <laughs> Well, that takes courage, because it's unpleasant. Yeah, I didn't want to say it. Yeah. it one of the things in the last 24 hours I've been, uh, just things opened up yesterday about Dukkha, and one is I'd like to please people in my life. It's really important that I please people. So, you know, if I stand up and say, I can't hear, the rest of you have to yell when you're doing it. I mean, that's an exaggerated uh, way to reply, but I, uh, yeah, I think in the last you know, day or two, I think that I'm just more aware of my emotions, and I'm more aware of what I call the pain body, which is, you know, I have to be good, I have to please other people, and I don't, I know that, but I don't, I don't feel it, I don't feel it. Thanks for bringing that into the room, Rick, how you are and how you're feeling and how you've been holding it and how you've been working with Dukkha through the session and how you've been seeing um, your mind, what, what arose from unpleasantness of not hearing other people and led to the emotional ah, body, I'm getting old, ah, seeing all of that. And Also, we were talking earlier and um, each, of the, each of you told me the way I, I feel, told me to shut up. <laughs> Wasn't it, you know, it's like, wait, you know, and I was kind of jumping in to ask a question. I said, can I ask the question now? And again, because I feel raw mm. in that emotion. It's just so easy to mm. take that. And that, I almost didn't say anything like I'm saying now mm. because it was just piling. You know, and I was letting it pile, and I didn't want to let it pile. Mm. Thank you for looking at me and smiling. Mm. I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's an important compass heading for us all to understand about dukkha is we don't like it. And because we don't like it, we come in with a more reactive solution. And there's no chance to understand um, what's going on within our dukkha experience. <clears throat> and so sometimes we come in too quickly. Like, I just had a scratcher while I was talking to you, and my hand right went like, I don't even want that, like, get rid of it. As I'm trying to talk to you, this little thing is getting in my way and unconsciously, I'm already getting rid of it. Without even knowing, like, oh, I have a body. Oh, there's an itch on it. Yeah, that's the right thing, I want to do that. There's no even room for a relationship to it. There's an automatic get rid of it, get rid of it. Which means we never mature our relationship to what's happening. We only have the get rid of it strategy. And when we finally can't get rid of it, then we sink. And then we sink into hopelessness. So either I'm combating my dukkha or I'm, I'm being swamped by it. And there's a different capacity which grows over time is how to be conscious within it, understand what's happening, and then you can apply the appropriate solutions. You can, there are many solutions, but they come from an ability to be in it first before you see how many doors were actually open. And when we can't be with it, there's only two doors, collapse, or fight it. And the fighting it is a very pushy solution. And the collapse is sort of a, we just get overwhelmed. Awareness, to me, lies at the heart of it. Uh, awareness brings choices. A lot right. of choices. I think it's much easier to... I became aware of you talking about it. And I also became aware that I'm going to uh, ask it need not be resolved now, but I, I would like to figure out a way that I can hear people talk. We've fallen out of the habit of using the microphone, and that probably was more helpful.
for you. So we'll try to pass the mic around. Yeah, more. I, I, yeah, and, and, yeah, I was saying I don't want everyone to think they have to do something for me, but I, I'm here because I want to learn and I want to grow in this. Well, I'm aware that one um, of our members is not here, yeah. but also um, one, I have an idea that maybe you could sit, you could sit in the middle. I found my And also we could tighten our circle a little. I thought about all that. It's an oblong. Hearing devices. They don't work in the upper room. We already asked about them. The sound system doesn't have that capacity. It's only the the large room that has that. So let, let's do take up the habit of uh, using the mic. Yeah. yeah. And also, um, since you brought up, I wanted to say um, Taylor is not feeling well. So please hold him in your heart with metta. When you were mentioning the itch, Temple... Uh, I've gotten to the point like while I'm listening, while I'm conscious if I have an itch I'll scratch it but during meditation uh, I observe it and watch it pass and that's become a new thing for me in meditation over the last particularly now in this retreat is that what we should be doing the, um, if you can tolerate it, then you have options, and then you have a chance for wisdom to choose what feels like a wise option. If you can't tolerate it, you probably won't be able to apply wisdom. You'll apply some type of unconscious habit, and maybe it's even fine, like scratching of an itch. There's not a lot of repercussion, unless you have poison ivy and you unconsciously scratch it, and then it actually gets worse. But itches are very small experiences of dukkha, but you can extrapolate that um, if you can tolerate some discomfort in life, you have then options. And if you can't tolerate it, you have fewer options. And your options are more driven by um, an agitation of mind versus having some ability to choose. So my life has gotten so much better the more I've been able to be with uncomfortable situations. And when I was younger, I couldn't tolerate that. When uncomfortable situations would come up, I would get more desperate more quickly to find some type of exit from that situation. So then that, that it has become universal. So my relationship to all experience has improved and I'm happier by being able to be with unpleasant experiences, which seems like it would be the opposite. But the more I can tolerate unpleasant experiences, the happier I've gotten. I think this question follows kind of nicely from that idea, um, and also from your warnings to not call dukkha out, but to let it come. Uh, I was thinking about the story of the Buddha himself, and you were saying last night that for six years before his awakening, he was calling it out, right? Sitting in the brambles and, and all that. Isn't it possible that... And, and, I, and I do see this as a hindrance for myself, but I also consider the possibility that in the case of his story, he did gain some skills from that. And how do we know that the awakening wasn't somehow related, other than the fact that he said, it's not related. And I guess because he was enlightened, we can assume that he was correct. But isn't it, isn't it possible that that training did help? And isn't it possible that that training can help. And I'm not trying to 
justify my tendency. Maybe I am subconsciously, but I'm just considering and proposing that question. So I'm going to jump in and say, um, so let's think about it, Duke. So if, if I were the Buddha and I had done a bunch of practices that I found were helpful, um, and then I became enlightened, and then now I'm going out and teaching, right? The things that were helpful, I would include. The things that were not helpful, I wouldn't include. There are a bunch of practices he had done with other teachers, like the jhanas, for example, that he did include in his teachings. Austerities, eh, eh, eh. He did not include. He included a middle path. So it wasn't like he was like, oh, those were good for me, but I'm not going to tell you about them because, you know. Let's trust the man. He was brilliant, right? So he chose to teach us what really is conducive to our liberation and not second-guess the teachings with, with perhaps wishful thinking of, of what the teachings might be. Does that? Yeah, I guess my question... I like that answer, and I, I and I'm and I'm working to trust yeah. that answer and trust the teachings more and more. And yeah. the more I do, the more my trust builds, and yeah. you know, positive feedback loop. But I also this question continually comes up with the fact that the Buddha himself was a human being, and psychologically, there is information that is not accessed to individuals about themselves. Um, whether that's unconscious information or sometimes it's things about consciousness. And I struggle with this. Um, I read a lot of science and I read a lot of Buddhism. And, then, and when there is a, a conflict between believing he was a human being mm-hmm. who is restricted by um, the misjudgment that all human beings are susceptible to, um, and believing that he has surpassed all of those or some subset of those, some fundamental subset of those. Um, I don't know. It comes up with more than just calling out dukkha. That's a question that's recurring for me. And this doesn't lead up, need to follow up, or need to lead to a, another question. It's just something I ponder, I guess. I do want to say something, and I appreciate you bringing that up because it's obviously something that you're working with in general. And um, one thing that you said that I really appreciate is is trusting your, your practice and your experience. And you don't have to believe or not believe um, the story of whether he was a human or, or he was superhuman. Or, all you're trying to do is to become more free in your life based on your experience. So let go of the stories and and see what's useful and helpful for you. And in terms of this over-striving, you can see in your own experience the times that has led to problems um, and the times that the right effort really helps and supports your own practice. And just be really wise about it um, as much as is possible. Um, and, and, and using the sangha, spiritual friends, teachers as sangha to, to also help you also. And you don't need to necessarily believe this or that or the other, but just seeing your own experience, what is productive, what is not productive. Thank you. And I'm going to add one more thing. Um, there's such incredible value in Sangha and the Dharma. Um, but another way of phrasing my, the same question, I think in a more personal struggle way, is one, I, I believe the Dharma itself is enough. But I also believe that there's new things being discovered that weren't available to the Buddha that can be valuable. Um, Nuggets of wisdom from behavioral economics, from behavioral psychology, from from whatever. Um, The Buddha didn't know about evolution by natural selection. And 
we do. And so it seems that there are these nuggets of knowledge that can come and actually be applicable in terms of experience. And so there doesn't come a question of whether I believe such and such about the Buddha, Mm -hmm. whether he's supernatural or not. It's a question of what else should I be looking for in addition to the Dharma that could be gold, particularly from science of the mind? So that's a larger conversation, uh, obviously, and, and can have that later, just to say that there is the idea of skillful means um, in Buddhism, and skillful means what can be productive and helpful in our practice, and skillful means can be different for different people and different at different times. For example, the Buddha used different methodology to, to teach different people, and with your predilection, maybe reading and, and bringing in um, neuroscience that's again skillful and not I mean there's some there's a lot of bad neuroscience out there I've, I've read a lot of papers um, in meditation and, and there's some good ones but having skillful means of bringing that in might be helpful for you again we can talk about that later so I want to wrap it up so that we have time now to get to the uh, um, the uh, reflections now thanks thank you thanks well, one other thing I would yeah. add is that um, the Buddha's the Buddha's middle way. If you look at what the middle way looks like, um, it's it's pretty austere. I mean, he recommends we all do the middle way, but what his monastic order looks like: people walk around owning two bed sheets, one for the lower body, one for the upper body, one little bowl, and it doesn't give you a lot of room to maneuver around pain that comes up, cold weather, hot weather. He doesn't recommend that we all have AC. He doesn't recommend that we get to choose our food. So his middle way um, doesn't move only towards pleasure or doesn't move only towards pain. It just walks through life and mindfully experiences the pain and pleasure that arises. Um, So just getting back to your earlier question, that... uh, when you look at the actual middle way, um, there's not flinching from pain, but there's not seeking it out. So. So for um, our guided reflection, um, we'll be doing that in dyads, in groups of two. So... Um, I'll tell you what we'll be doing and then we'll find a partner. And I would suggest that you find a partner uh, whom you haven't worked with yet so that we you get to meet and get to know more of the people in, in, in our group. So um, this is going to be in the form of a repeating circular question. I'll explain what that, what that is and we'll demonstrate in a moment. Um, and there will be two questions that we'll be um, working with. One is, um, what, what blocks you from recognizing dukkha? What blocks you from recognizing dukkha? You can't hear me. Oh, okay. Too, too soft? What blocks you from recognizing dukkha? Can you hear me okay now? Okay. What blocks you from recognizing dukkha? Can you hear me okay, Rick? Okay. What blocks you from recognizing dukkha? The other question, actually there are two sets of two questions. The second question in the first set is, what blocks you from embracing or what blocks you from opening to dukkha? What blocks you from embracing dukkha? And then there are two questions in the second set. What supports you in recognizing dukkha? And then the second question in the second set, it what supports you in embracing dukkha? 
So simply they're about what hinders you and blocks you, what supports you. And the first question in each set is about recognizing dukkha, and the other one is embracing or opening to it. And I'll repeat the questions. So, so the way this setup will work is the following. You'll be working with a partner, and one person, um, and you'll have, say, five minutes for each question, the two of you. So one person will ask the question, the other person will answer it, the person who just answered it now asks it, and the other person answers it. Again, going round and round the same question. The reason for this setup is the following. With repeating questions, you come up with an answer, which is on the surface first. And then when you are asked the same question over and over and over again, really, if when you take time to let yourself settle and see what bubbles up, you get to um, be in touch with with intuition, with answers, with with um, with um, um, things that you really didn't see first on the surface with the first time when it was asked. So we'll demonstrate in a moment. And the reason why it's not a, it's not just one directional. I mean, we can also do it one directional too, but in this format, it's helpful when you hear the other person give an answer. That can actually help your reflection. And when they ask you the question, you can go deeper. Basically, you, you both help each other in the reflection to go deeper and deeper and deeper. Does that make sense? And we can demonstrate in the moment as to what it looks like. So, so with the first question, I'll start... Yeah. You'll ask the question. Yeah, I'll ask the question, ask you'll that. answer, and then you ask the question, I answer. Again, I ask the question, you answer. So it's the same question for f- the first question for five minutes. So, so um, what blocks you from recognizing dukkha? Uh, the pain of experiencing it. Thank you. What blocks you from experiencing dukkha? From recognizing. From recognizing Dukkha. Um, being confused, being in the midst of stories. And say thank, thank you. you. What? Oh. I have trouble here. Okay, we'll speak louder. So what... Oh, sorry, right. <laughs> I was hearing him. Sorry about that. There we go. Okay, we'll do it again. So, what blocks you from recognizing dukkha? I would rather not. (laughs) Preference. Thank you. What blocks you from recognizing dukkha? It's scary. Thank you. What blocks you from recognizing dukkha? It's scary. Thank you. What blocks you from, recogni- from recognizing dukkha? I pass. Thank you. What blocks you from recognizing dukkha? Being ch- enchanted by my vision of what I want for myself. Thank you. One more time. What blocks you? from recognizing dukkha. Having a sense of self that's that's idealized and doesn't experience dukkha. Thank you. Thank you. So you see the format, how it will work back and forth. Is that clear? Any questions about the format? So there will be four... Four questions. Four questions. Yeah. Sure there's, still... sure, there's time. Oh, wow. We've run out of time. Whoa. Okay, so... We'll do one of one. Do... We'll actually make it shorter to the five minutes. I'll make it, I think, let's see, 16 minutes. I think it will... Um, let's see, real-time math. So find your partners while I figure out the math of the timing. So 
<laughs> We've taken more time than I realized. So, so please find a partner. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.